it's time to start unpacking with another episode of the B Word Unpacked, hosted by the phenomenal women of Goodstock Consulting, Kelly, Kim, and Ebony. Welcome back, B-Pack. It's Kim, Kelly, and Ebony coming back at you for another week of the B-Word. And honestly, I'm going to go and say, today is going to be a little heavy for me. We're unpacking benzos and opioids. That's right. Short for benzodiazepines. Did I say that right, Ed? You said it right, bud. Yeah, okay. (laughs) You know, the most common brands or types we hear about are Valium, our Xanax, our Ativan. And they're tranquilizers that are usually prescribed for people who suffer with anxiety, seizures, insomnia, etc. And then opioids, on the other hand, are clinically used as a pain reliever. And we've heard a lot about opioids recently, um, like the most common types, Vicodin, Oxycodone, Cody, Morphine, Scissor, Heroin, all of those things. And while opioid prescriptions are decreasing across the country because of this whole national outcry we've had, Benzos are still some of the most commonly prescribed drugs, easily pushing anyone, y'all, into addiction. So let's move quickly into a lightning round, because I want to know if you guys have had any experiences with being overprescribed or just being prescribed a controlled or powerful medication. Not just you, but maybe it's a family member. Let's start with you, Kelly. Awesome. Well, I don't personally have an experience, and although I do have several family members who experience mental health challenges for which they have been prescribed medication, the most common of which, um, at least that I can remember hearing about, is Xanax, nobody ever really told me that they felt they had been overprescribed, that I can recall. But that being said, I do think that the use of benzos is accepted and frankly, hell, even glorified in TV, movies, music, literature, you know, pop culture in general. Countless shows that I've watched have included scenes of references to people who talk about, I'm popping zannies, you know, we popping zannies. And earlier today, yes, y'all know I'm a nerd, I Googled how <laughs> many songs include references <laughs> This is why we love you. This is why we love you. You know, I did Google that earlier today. And the first thing that popped up was the 25 rap songs that reference Xanax. And let's be clear. Let's not get it twisted. These references to Xannies are across all genres. It ain't just hip hop and rap. But the bottom line is that this messaging really normalizes the use of these drugs. And I don't think that that's lost on youth, nor are adults immune to these influences. I agree. What about I you, agree. Ed? Right. I mean, it, it's one of those things of, um, so I've only had Versed once when I had my wisdom teeth pulled. And to give you an example of how I know I shouldn't do drugs, um, my bestie Lauren picked me up from getting my wisdom teeth pulled. Um, apparently I told her that I was okay to take care of myself. I don't know why she trusted me. I woke up to my house and I literally had blood everywhere. I, like, I, I don't know if I took the gauze out and was writing on walls. What? I, I had blood everywhere. Okay. Uh, and I called and I was like, I was like, what happened? She was like, you kept telling me to leave that you were okay. And I was like, you trusted me? I mean, so, um, so clearly, um, drugs do not interact with my body well at all. But um, that being said, though, I have had family members that have experienced addiction. Um, and it's just like any other disease process. I think we, we criminalize people um, when it's, it's a matter of the brain, literally chemicals right. telling you that you need this and, and driving you to do this. And we don't criminalize people if they have a cancer that's overgrowing. 
right? But whenever we have a stimulation of a brain, we say that these people, oh, you need to go to jail. Right. Uh, at least that's what it was for black people. Mm-hmm. With the crack. We know that that has changed. Okay, that was the war on drugs. Uh-huh. Now, now we're on the mental health issue. Because now we go. Help. Um, but it's always been that way of where we should have been saying, how can we help you through this to get better control over those over those cravings and also stop the, the triggers in the first place over the, as far as the overprescription and overprescribing of these. So, yeah, what about you, Kim? Yeah, so you, so I've talked about my battles with anxiety before on this podcast um, and the shenanigans of 2020 really ain't helping much. Um, but in hindsight, I honestly believe that I've always suffered from anxiety since childhood, but I just accepted that that was a part of my personality, that that's just Kim being Kim. But what really, I hit a turning point or a pivotal point when I had my son, my uh, Trey Jr., and that's the anxiety just became too blatant and it started to impact like my functions in life and how I work and how I take care of him. And so I went to my post-op appointment with my doctor, um, white male doctor. I feel like it's important that I say that. And all he asked was, well, how are you doing? How's the baby? And y'all, I legit started crying mm-hmm. in the doctor's office, hard down crying. And all I could get out was, I, I can't even fold my clothes. Yeah. That's all I could say. That's all <laughs> I could say to him. I could not do laundry. Yeah. And so this was an immediate red flag for him. And I understand why, but he instantly prescribed me Xanax. Mm-hmm. And not just did he give me a prescription for Xanax, but he gave me 90 pills for 30 days. Wow. So he was wow. like, yeah, you can take three of these a day. Malpractice. Okay. You know, he was, it was my very first prescription. I, I just thought, okay, is this is this what people do? So I said, well, okay, I'll wait until I get home. I'll take one and see what happens. Y'all, I was so yeah. high yeah. and nearly in a in, in a coma. Like I was so sleepy. I, I It's almost like I could not control myself. I could not make my eyes stay open. And I thought, and I'm supposed to take three of these a day? Like, is that normal, Ab? Mm-hmm. Are doctors <laughs> supposed to give you? Not that. Now, granted, what we do know is postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis, they are a real life issue. Absolutely. Um, you know, there, there are associations with harming of self and of child. So do we need to be aggressively treating? Yes. Does that mean giving you th- 90 days worth of uh, 90 pills? 90 oh, pills for 30 no. days, That's y'all. No. So I- so I started cutting the pill in half and I was like, okay, okay. I guess a half works, but he nor his nurse called back to check in to make sure I was good. And literally if I had an addictive personality or if I had dreams of being a drug dealer, like I had the perfect supply because mm-hmm. I could push for you. Right. I could push. And so just seven years ago in 2013, only four to about 6% of adults were using benzos. Now it's over 13% of adults and 17% of those are misusing it much like I could have been mm-hmm. with my 90 pills. Right. So, mm-hmm. but it's really just the grace of God that I did not become an addict and no, I did not become a drug dealer, but I understand why people do because it really does slow your brain down. And if you have a hyperactive brain or if you're trying to escape from this world, it was it was there for you. The door question, was wide open. Question for you, I'm interject. What did you do with your 90 pills? I flushed them, I stopped taking them. <laughs> you know they're finding, so we're, we're telling people not to do that. Yeah. Oh, don't the flush them? 
Girl, because then they contaminate the water. The fish are high. The fish are high. The sea life is just like tripping because that's all going into our water stream. We're injecting that. Your baby might be drinking that. So please. Well, I am sorry. That no, no, honestly, y'all are getting high on my supply. No, the reason why I wanted to point it out because that's what many people do. They say, I don't yeah. want to get into the wrong hands. I want to be safe. Um, but there actually are throughout your city, if you just call, um, even a hospital, but there are fire departments, sometimes police departments, they have um, lock boxes where you yep. can return narcotics. Yep, okay. CDS, Walgreens, a lot of drug stores have them too. Right. So Whatever drop them off. Mm-hmm. No more flushing. Need, you drop it off. Yep. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So that's that's good to know. No more flushing my pills. Okay. No more flushing the pills. <laughs> but Nemo would be so high. Yeah. <laughs> Nemo's like you. I want the special salmon. I want the special salmon. <laughs> but in all honesty and seriousness, y'all, this is a special episode for for me. My niece by friendship struggled with her own opioid addiction and through her sobriety she's been committed to telling others her story especially young people so let's jump into the b-side with our special guest miss tara jackson welcome tara hey guys yes tara welcome to the b word tell the people about you age career where you got this courage to share your such a personal story well, I'm Tara. Um, I just turned 24 on September 25th. Um, I am a leasing consultant at um, apartments here in Columbia. Um, the courage, I would have to say it came from God because he gave me the strength to have the courage. So, yeah, it's, it's God giving me the strength. Yeah. Amen to that, Tara. Right. Amen to that. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for being so brave. I know not many young people, I mean, hell, not a lot of older people would have the courage to share such an intimate detail about their life. You know, Kim knows the story, but I'd love for you to catch us up. So when were you exposed to opioids? You know, was it through your doctor? And at any time, again, tell me, tell us if we're digging too deep. But talk about how you were exposed and kind of how the addiction came about. Okay. Um, first, it was I had to have all four of my wisdom teeth removed. Mm-hmm. I think Ebony was talking about wisdom teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the that was the first thing that my wisdom teeth. And then um, after that, that's when I guess I was abusing it. Um, I was taking them to every four hours or so that, you know, how it's prescribed. And then after that, after my wisdom teeth had, or um, after they had healed, I was still taking them. Um, I liked the way they made me feel. Mm-hmm. And that was that, at that point. Right. I tell you, it's, it's funny. Um, when I had my wisdom teeth pulled, I literally asked them not to give me a prescription for, um, for any narcotics because I was afraid for myself. Um, my, my father, he has overcome a lot in life. And one of the things is he over, he overcame a drug addiction and his story of how he persevered through that, the amount, when, when Kelly say you're brave, you really are brave Mm -hmm. because, um, it is the hardest thing to fight that. And that's why I feel like my, my dad is my um, greatest role model because he's shown that when you commit yourself to doing something, you can do anything. Um, so 
Right. And, and it's one of those things I feel like um, I've tried to protect myself by saying, I don't know. It can happen to anyone. Yep. It, it really does not have a, a, a demographic that it likes. And so that's why I was like, I don't even want to, I don't even want to tempt it. So once you had, I'm assuming they gave you a prescription for maybe like 10 days, five days. It was about 10 days, I believe. So how did it go from there? Like where, where were you actually getting refills or, or where, yeah. how did you get contact with people to fulfill this? And then, and then I guess, when did you, when did you realize that it was going downhill? Was it when you first said, oh, my prescription has ran out and now, and how far in between was that, that you felt like I've lost control of this and now it's trying to control me? Um, after the prescription, obviously it was off the streets. Um, I had a homeboy who actually just passed due to drug abuse. That would be the second one. Um, my closer brother. Um, a friend from high school, I lost him in 2019 um, due to drug abuse. Um, so that's where it was coming from after the prescription. I knew it was a problem when I was taking them just to not feel bad. Mm. Um, and that w it, it was a, probably a year or so it, from when I was getting prescribed to when I actually knew that it was a problem because I was taking them just to not feel bad. Mm -hmm. Can you unpack that what for me? It, yeah, you tell me what you're feeling bad feel about. Bad. Right. Yeah. What was so, it for you? So it's called withdrawals. Um, most people, when you hear withdrawals, you think vomiting and, and all of that good stuff. But with me, it was um, the sweats mm -hmm. and shaking. Um, but it was just, it was uncomfortable. I have, still had to go to work and my armpits are sweating terribly. So that's how I knew I had a problem at that point. I had to take them to stop sweating. Mm -hmm. And how much were you taking at that point per day? You said four times a day, but what were we talking about? Oxycodone, 10 or what, what were we? It was 10 milligrams. Mm -hmm. um, I say I would, too many, definitely too many. Um, probably just being honest, 10 a day. Wow. 10, 10 milligrams a day. A day. Can I ask you, Tara, wow. what does something like that cost? I have no idea what something like that would cost. Too much. It, like, and another problem, I knew it was bad when I couldn't afford them. I knew it was bad when I was buying pills instead of paying my bills. Right. Um, just being honest, they go for, when I was doing it, they were $10 a pill. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's an expensive habit then. Ten a day yeah. at ten dollars—that's a hundred bucks a day. And the ten a the ten a day was was in my prime. Um, I, like I said, I couldn't afford it anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I literally could not afford to be that high. Um, so at at the end stages, I was taking maybe three ten milligrams a day, and that's one in the morning to get out of my bed because I wasn't going to do it without it. Uh -huh. Um, then another one around lunchtime because I'm starting to sweat. And then another one at nighttime because I have to go to sleep. Mm. So Tara, now I know you were living alone at this time, but you have like very involved parents, like 
very involved and a very close-knit family. So how did you hide this from, from them, from us for so long? How long did you hide it? And how did you do it so well? It was, it was three years that I was hiding it. Three um, years? Three wow. years. Wow, Tara. It was three years. Um, I wasn't hiding it. I, I, I wasn't. Um, uh, how something did, that how did they miss The fact that, um, you know, I was just getting into adulthood. So I was trying to um, show my parents that I did have a sense of independency. So that kind of helped us because they weren't so into my financials. They weren't seeing a hundred dollars a day gone out of my account and things like that. But I, I wasn't hiding it. They knew something was wrong with their child. What was, what was off? What was different about you? Um, probably the mood swings, just, I noticed a lot, um, and I'm still mending relationships with my family just from that time. Um, I can't really explain it, but I could tell that our relationship was, it, it wasn't strong. It wasn't as strong as it should be. Um, I could only go around people if I was high. I, I didn't know how to socialize if I wasn't high. Um, I, I think family can just notice the difference, uh, the, the attitude. Um, yeah, they notice. You, you can notice. Have you, had a, have, you go ahead, yeah, have you forgiven yourself for that? I have. That's good. I got a question, Tara. So when you say you couldn't go around unless you were high, tell me, kind of unpack that a little bit. Like, what were you trying to suppress? Was it, what, what were the pills giving you comfort or respite from um that's, if that's not too personal no it's fine um it's not anything that i was necessarily running from or trying to escape reality as most people say it it, it wasn't really that i honestly just liked the way the muscle relaxers made me feel mm-hmm. and that's what i thought it that's what i thought it was the whole time I thought it was just that I liked the way it feel, but it led into an addiction. Gotcha. So let, me ever, let me ask you this. When did you realize that you had to tell somebody about the addiction? And then who did you choose to first share that with? I was never going to tell. I didn't tell anyone. So you didn't um, tell anyone? My friends, my close friends knew that I had a problem. And mm-hmm. they also knew that I was going to make a conscious effort to, to fix the problem. I knew that I wasn't living right. I knew that I had to change something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, did, I didn't tell anyone. I wasn't going to. I was just going to do what I had to do. Damn, that takes strength. Yeah. It's a lot of strength. A yeah. lot of strength. What was your plan? What were you going to do? I knew I had to find, um, whether it would be inpatient or outpatient, I knew I was going to have to find a recovery center at this point. I, I couldn't stop by myself. And I, didn't have, I didn't have the tools to stop. I didn't medically know what to do to stop. And what was the final straw? For instance, you know, what was it that said, okay, this is enough. I've gone from 10 to three times a day, right? And now I just, 
I just wanted out. Like, was there, was there a tipping point for you? Because you're one of the, the blessed cases, right? Because right. You, you did stop yourself. And, um, and I'm sorry, again, I don't think we took time to acknowledge the fact that you just said that you lost two friends. Yeah. And I'm sorry that you had to deal with that because um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what that feels like um, from the survivorship and the in the guilt of everything that comes with that, right? Um, so right. So that's I'm sorry. That's so that's that's another part of where my courage comes from. I lost a brother. I mean, um, he was like family to me. Honestly, the family knew him. Um, we did everything together. Best friends. Girls accused me of messing with him in high school, all kind of stuff, but that was truly my brother. Um, And so that was, I know before I left for rehab, I said, um, we love Nike. So I said, just do it for John. That was his name. Um, So that was a lot of my courage too. I had had to change something for him because I I didn't want to go out the same way he did. Wow. Was that something that you shared with him? Was that something that y'all talked about or bonded over or did he try to say don't you get involved in this Mm, see our relationship was I was a friend that didn't really play with him so he was he was getting out of control on drugs yeah we started smoking weed in high school but it was getting to worse things so I was I was kind of being a hit well I was being a hypocrite because I was telling him about his crap and I was doing the same thing that he probably didn't even know was as severe as it was. Wow. Because I think that's how it, I think everyone feels like they have theirs under control. Right. And that's, right. that's how it sneaks up. Right. Because yeah. I was, I was going to ask you prior to wisdom teeth coming out, did you have any experience? I know you just said uh, marijuana. Did you have any signs and symptoms of I might have an addictive personality? I, I don't have to say yeah, um, because I've just seen the difference in in me and other associates. Some people can do it here and there, and some people can't. Some people have to, if they have it one day, they have to have it the next. Mm-hmm. And that's how I was. It, it wasn't just, I couldn't just do it here and there. Because like I said, it made me feel good. So I wanted to feel good every day. And before marijuana in high school? Was there anything before that? So we went from marijuana straight to oxycodone. Right. Wow. And was there any other, um, was there any other narcotic also involved besides the benzo? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch anything else. Kara, I have a question for you. Um, talk a little bit about your rehab experience. You know, what was um, uplifting about it? What was challenging about it? And what would you have to say other folks who might be considering rehab themselves but are just on the fence and haven't made the decision yet um well i am blessed i believe i went to one of the best recovery centers around here um orlando recovery center in florida Mm -hmm. they um i i learned a lot i i couldn't even sit here and explain it all to you but um i remember one counselor he he came off kind of as a butthole, but I understood him and he his whole point was to get to the underlying issues of our 
addiction. So um, we went around and he was asking, why do you use? So he was going to everybody. Everybody's like, okay, well, my dad died and that's why I use. And he would keep asking it over and over. He got to me and he, and I kept saying, because it makes me feel good. And he would not stop until I changed my answer. Um, at the end of his session, I learned that we use because we don't know how to deal with our emotions. Right. And, that, and that's simply what it is. Mm-hmm. And so when I get ticked off at my sister or whatever, I would go use instead of sitting there and using, you know, my sense, like, it's okay, you know, taking a second, I would just use instead of actually dealing with that emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that's the, the case across all addiction. I mean, I have eaten when I don't want to deal with my emotions. Some people mm-hmm. eat, some people shop, some people use drugs. I mean, it's yep. like run the gamut, but, um, you know, you were dealt a rough hand in terms of the substance use, because that's one of the harder ones to bounce back from. But you are yeah. the clearly a shining example of what that can look like. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and another thing I wanted to touch on, rehab is not what you would think of. I know when I was younger, I just, I remember Janine from House of Pain. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like that. It was a really nice facility. Um, I didn't have my phone or anything. I had counselors the whole time, um, text with us. Um, we, we played sports. I played a lot of beach volleyball. That's my sport. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not this scary, intimidating place. You, you, once you get used to it, you're used to being in that building every day. You're fine. Yeah, I, I learned something a lot. that your insurance covered for you, Tara. How were you able to pay? Because I know the cost of rehab is often something that prevents people from actually seeking it as an option. Right. My insurance did cover a portion of it. I, but yeah, they cover a portion of it. Okay. Yeah. And that's another did question you? too. When when you say the structure of it, right? The structure of rehab and the activities to keep us busy and the counselors to say, I'm not going to stop until until we work this through. What happens when now you're done? You're out of rehab and now you're mm-hmm. back into that community. How, what, what happens, I guess, um, emotional, like when I watch um, documentaries on, on people in prison and they say the scariest day is the day you're gonna get released because it's like, oh, now what? Um, mm-hmm. Was that similar for you? Mm, no, I was, I was so committed. Uh, I was just so committed. I knew that I I would do whatever I had to do to to keep being sober. Um, I I walked around with my notes from rehab uh, for a good while, probably a couple months. I knew that I had to occupy my time with, you know, good stuff. Um, Whether it was going to the park, taking a walk, I, I had to occupy my time. Um, I had to add purpose to my life, um, just things like that after rehab. Yeah. Gary, you're so strong-willed is one of the things that I really love about you. Um, so outside of keeping your mind occupied, was there anything or someone or something that you relied on most to keep you so focused? Or is this just your normal personality? It was, it was between, it, it was, it was all me. I, I couldn't rely on anybody, honestly. I, I had to do all of the work myself, and it wasn't easy. Yeah. 
Sometimes you got to encourage yourself, girl. Girl, as a follow-up, you know, um, what would you say to folks who are on the fence and considering rehab? You know, what what words of encouragement would you offer? Or what, what do you think it takes for people to make that step? I believe that growth is sometimes uncomfortable. I believe you have to sometimes be uncomfortable to be to, to become comfortable. So you have to go through that uncomfortable stage um, to, to, to get better, to be comfortable. Um, it, you can make it out. I, I, remember, I remember the days when I, I didn't think I was gonna make it out. I, didn't, I had my strength, but I, I, I did not, it, I was so far gone. I didn't think I could make it out. Mm. Tell us but about one of tell us about one of your lowest days. I think we sometimes talk about the recovery, but often it's in that low space that people connect and then I can see the future, you know? Like mm-hmm. so if you can touch that space. If you can touch that, if that's not too deep, because that is deep. That's deep. Um it's okay. we, we 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 just want to be respectful because that is deep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The lowest day that I can remember was in rehab. Like I said, I had to get used to being there. I had to get used to them telling me when to wake up, when to go eat breakfast, when to go to class. I had to get used to that place, that being in that facility. Um, but so, at, so the first week of rehab is detox, where they um, pretty much taper you off of your drug of choice they, they give you something simpler to tape, taper you off of it. Just keep lessening the dose every day. Um, so, well, let me see. The, after that first week, I wanted out. I didn't, I didn't, I thought I had to do the whole 30 to 45 days. But when I got in there, they were talking about, are, they asked me, are you here for just detox? And I was kind of like, what do you mean just detox and they were like just a week here and so I was like okay I can do that I'm still you know I'm not fully recovered so I don't even know what's really best for me um but I I felt like I had learned enough to just do that week and it wasn't enough but um so I called my mom and I was like mom they they pretty much said I can get out of here after a week Mm -hmm. and I was like can you book my flight and she was like, Tara, do you really think it, that was enough? Do you really think that did it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've learned some stuff, blah, blah, blah. And she told me no. I was like, can you book my flight for me to come home? And she said no. Mm-hmm. And that was so hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I lashed out in, in my counselor's office um because actually at first he was telling me my mom said if you can get if if i can talk to your counselor and they say you're okay to go i'll go ahead and book your flight Mm. he i went and got him and i was like my mom said she needs to talk to you um to make sure i'm good to leave and he was like okay yeah no problem I, i can talk to her and then we get in his office and he i was thinking he was on my side like yeah you are good you can go ahead and leave after your detox and he completely flipped the script when he got in there. He told my mom that I was a sick, sick individual. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, of course, she was like, okay, well, Tara, I can't do that. I don't think you're ready to come home. And that broke me. I, I completely flipped. I was like, I just can't do this. Um, I was crying on the floor. Uh, one of my texts, I've still been trying to get in contact with her um, just to tell her thank you. She, I was crying, snotting all over the place. And she held me in, in, in her arms on the floor of that room. And she told me it it, you're going to be okay. She was there for me every step of the way. I, she was my family there. Um, but yeah, after that first week, I wanted out. And I, after that week, after I realized, okay, Terry, you got 30 days in here. You need to go ahead and push it out. After I got that mindset, that's when I became comfortable in that place. I went and got my breakfast. I woke up when they told me to. Um, but yeah, after that, I was fine. I just knew I had to do whatever I had to do. Whatever those people told me to do, every step I had to do it so I can make it out. But yeah. Wow, wow Tara. Yeah. Wow. This is, the, your story is both so heartbreaking and so motivational because it's a story of resilience. It's a story of triumph. You know, according to the National Institute of um, Drug Abuse, more than 30% of opioid overdoses involve benzos and more than 115 Americans die every day after overdosing on opioids. Last stat, because I think this is crazy, a study in North Carolina found that the overdose death rate among patients receiving both types of me medication, so both opioids and benzos, was 10 times higher. Listen, folks. 10 times higher if you're receiving both than those individuals who were only prescribed opioids. And so the question I have for you, Tara, is what can we, what can family, what can friends, what can we do or not do to protect, prevent, and support somebody who is struggling with a pill addiction? Um, yes, I have to say, under, understand that it is an actual problem. Mm -hmm. It is, it, I had gotten to where it, it wasn't just for fun anymore. I, would, I wasn't doing it every day. It, I had a problem and I couldn't stop myself. Even though I knew I had a problem, I couldn't stop. So just, just understanding that it, it is a process and we want out. I don't want, I didn't want to just be doing the drugs. Like I said, I was just doing them to get by. Mm -hmm. So understand that. Um, and, and just be there. I, I do, I strongly believe that it's not, my family telling me, Tara, you have a problem, you need to stop. That, that's not enough for an addiction. That, that doesn't cut it. It's gonna take, it takes yourself to actually fix the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think if, if they would have told you to, cause you said you didn't hide it and it was three years. If, if your friends or if you're a parent Oh, I'm sorry. I did when I say I didn't hide it. I was just saying I wasn't hiding it well. It, I wasn't doing it in their faces, but oh yeah, for sure, for sure. But if but if but if they if they came to you and said in that year one that we think you have a problem and we're going to put you in rehab, like what what approach do you do you recommend families do if they if they notice something if they see changes in their loved one. Should they force it? Should they say, I'm going to put you into um, rehab? Um, should they go the church route? 
as we oftentimes do in families? Like, what do you think is the best approach, knowing not only your story, but also knowing your friends who unfortunately, um, you know, lost that battle? People that you've met in rehab, like, what have y'all talked about or what have you learned is the best approach when dealing with this? Uh, I went to rehab because I randomly got a phone call from my dad. He, well, no, no, no. The first call was from rehab. I guess my parents had already talked to him. I guess they were like, we, we know that it's drugs at this point. It's, I don't understand what else it could be. So they went ahead and reached out to um, the rehab facility. Um, then I received a call and she was like, um, can you come, can, do you want to come today or something like that? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not ready. I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Where is this coming from? And then, and then, so she hung up with me and she called, I guess she called my dad and then he called me back and he was like, what do you mean you're not going? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I never said that. I just said that I wasn't about to up and go today. Mm-hmm. So I had I had no problem going, but um, I, that's what I needed. Like I said, I was going to find a rehab. It might have been three more years later, right. but them stepping in and saying, okay, because it could have been, you know, me not wanting to go. I Like I said, it could have been three more years. So them stepping in and saying, yeah, you need to go was what did it for me. So. I am thankful for that. Yeah. Sarah, I am. This, these are the times that I'm so thankful that I have um, teammates because mm-hmm. I am losing it mm-hmm. over here. I am losing it. I have been in love with you since you were a baby. And to hear you go through this struggle when we're right here in plain sight, it just breaks my heart. So what, what's, what's some advice that you would share with the 12-year-old Tara that I knew? Uh, what would you tell her or a teen just like her? Um, be respectful. Um, respect will take you further than you can ever imagine. Um, don't make your, your life is already hard. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. Um, if you, my mom's favorite saying, if you make your bed hard, you got to lay in it. Don't do that. Don't make life harder than it has to be. Mm. Wow. Mm. I'm so proud of you, baby. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. yeah. How do you, I guess, I guess one other question I'm, I'm curious. Um, with these drugs being so readily available, Right. Um, how how is it? Ba- how is that battle now compared to the first day out of rehab? And I know you say you walked around with your rehab notes. Is there any other? If if someone is watching right now who's battling these addictions, um, is there any other advice that you would give to them as to how to maintain your sobriety? For instance, how many days have you been sober then? It's been a year and about six months. A year and about six months. That's good. That is. Yeah. My advice would be that 
You never know how strong you are until being strong is your only option. Ooh, mm -hmm. you better say it again. You better say it. Say that. At that at that point, being strong was my only option. Mm -hmm. Wow. Honestly, um, yeah, strength, strength. Yeah, and I get that strength from God. Yeah. And you come from a long line of strong women, my dear. A long line. You know, this was. I'm so thankful. Yeah, th this this was heavy, but but informative. You know, it's important that we have these conversations, especially with our young people, um, young adults ages 18 to 29. They report the highest rates of benzos misuse in the United States and two thirds of adults that have an opioid disorder first started using opioids when they were under the age of 25. So there's a lot of work that we can do. And I'm sure, I, I'll ask this, when you were at your rehab facility, did you see many people who look like us? Did you see many black and brown people? Exactly. And, and that's not to say that it's not in our community. This is not just, uh, pill, pill misuse is not an issue for just white suburban moms, right? Um, right? It's definitely in our community and we have to start having more conversations about it because prescriptions will last. These, these are clinical drugs, right? They're used in medicine mm -hmm. quite often. So we have to figure out what we can do and how we can become better advocates for ourselves when faced with a prescription from a doctor. Let's just jump to the B side because there's a lot about this that we should be bothered about. Right. I, um, another thing I just thought about, I think um, with my generation, I think nowadays that it drugs are cool mm. and it, it's nothing cool about it because it, if you think it's cool then you think it's a game and it's not a game like I said I lost two brothers two two very close people to me due to drug abuse so it, it's not a game it can easily easily get out of control and you won't notice that's the thing hmm. you won't notice silent attack uh -huh. I tell you, and, and because you won't notice, that's why ladies, we got to do something. You know, this, it is time for us to act. This, this addiction of these drugs, um, they are taking the people in our community. You know, we talk about why we're not seeing more black and brown people in the rehab facility where like Tara shared, that was expensive. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, this organ of our brain that is so complicated that we still are trying to figure out what it does we don't treat it as if something that it should be one of these these free things we, we want to help you to get control of, of this right um mm -hmm. so we but we can't afford to lose any more of our gifted young people um especially not to drugs we know that this is destroying families and taking mothers out of the homes and fathers out of the homes and they're ending up either in prison or in jail or or, or um in the grave, unfortunately, are struggling for years where we're missing out on life. Parents say you're 24. So this, 24. Had, I mean, this is when you're you were a baby, literally in your teens, and those years can't be can't be given back. But luckily, thank God, you have many years ahead of you. And, I, and I, I'm glad I caught it at a, at a young age. I'm oh, glad I caught it when I did before. I know for sure if you went through that and survived that that early in life. Then the calling that God has on your life, the way you're going to shift this, that's going to 
Somebody take over. Mm-hmm. But no, but honestly, um, the amount of influence that you're supposed to have, because like you said, if, if you were taking the same drugs at the same rate that took the lives of your other two friends, then there's a purpose for you. And I'm grateful to have heard you. Um, you know, I do look forward to seeing, you don't know how many lives you're going to save. Literally, that you'll be able to save from the simple fact of using your testimony and, um, and shining that light. And like I said, my father is my greatest role model because of that. Um, it should not be a cloak of shame, but it really should be celebrated that, um, yeah, that you made it. And, um, and I do look forward to see what you, what you accomplish with this because it's going to be tremendous. So, um, yes. So ladies, in that token um, of thinking about how we can try to help another 17, 18 year old not have to weather that same storm to still be that bright light, what should we do? How can we stop this trend of pill popping um, and actually deal with the hurt that Tara says that the council was trying to get to? What is causing that? How can we see it? How can we treat it? Yeah, and how can we stop this, this snowball effect? I'll jump in, Ev. I mean, the first thing that I wanna commit to after this recording today is that I am going to encourage each and every one of my friends and family to listen to this episode. Don't get me wrong, I have certainly promoted the B Word Unpacked many times, but this episode today, Tara, the testimony that you just shared, I am going to have my friends and family not only listen to it, but I feel like anybody who has somebody who's a teenager or a young child, they need to sit and listen to this together. Because not only have you shared your struggles and your pain, but you are such a beautiful example of what triumph looks like. And so that's gonna be, it's a simple step, but I just feel like your story is so much more compelling than anything else I could tell anybody. So my, my, my duty after the recording today truly is to shout from the rooftops that people need to listen to this episode because they need to be taught and informed and fed and guided by your story. So that's what I'm gonna commit to. Thank you. Yeah, I I think I'm gonna commit to, I'm the fun aunt, right? Right, Tara, I'm the fun aunt, I'm the get crunk aunt. Um, But I think I need to also become the listening aunt. I need to spend more time not having fun with y'all. I need to spend more time just listening, asking questions. Um, I know you don't like to cuddle me as much as I love to cuddle you, but you know, just more quiet time with us just kind of being on a level two and listening to what's really going on in y'all life. Because as much time as I spend with y'all and as much access as I have, even with my my biological nieces and nephews, I, I need to know more. And so I need to hush my mouth and listen. And so just thank you for Right, today. because aunts are, are people who we run to when we don't necessarily want to talk to our mom. We want to, exactly. you know, see another, another perspective to things other than the mom's perspective. Yeah. Even though and I know we, you give me a little bit of both. Yeah, and we know your mama crazy, so you need me, right? <laughs> you need me. But yes, baby, I'm going to do a better job with all my nieces and nephews of listening more and asking more questions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
And I think, I think for me, um, I'm going to commit to being like your mom and dad, because it sounds like in this story that they pushed when you weren't necessarily ready to push, but they loved you enough to do it. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. And you know, your dad making that phone call and calling you and saying, no, when, when is, where is your bottom? Right. Um, yeah. And your mom, when it, I can't imagine if your child is calling you, screaming, get me out of here, um, to turn on and say, no, I know that was probably the most difficult thing that she had to do. But again, it's because she loved you enough. Um, and so, yeah, I, wanna, I want to be that to, to, for my nieces and nephews and for my future children. And even for me, like I ask people all the time, again, because it does not care. And at work, I'm literally, they give me a cassette of drugs. I can take any drug I want to, and I am pushing it, and I am giving it, and I can easily give it to myself. And I ask people and beg people, if you ever see something, love me enough to, to piss me off and say, you're going anyway. Um, but yeah, and then I guess my other thing I wanna make sure I do, because I try to tell my dad often, um, but really just to say, I am, I am really, I mean it when I say I'm proud of you. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know you say he's been, he's been recovered for years now, but it doesn't, it doesn't get easier. The cravings never go away. The urges never go away. That is incredible. Tara, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being so open and honest and brave. It's these stories that we need to hear. It's, it's these gut-wrenching truths that we need to hear. The bottom line is that pill addiction is not just for suburban white women. It's not just a sex and the city thing. It's in the black community and it's haunting and hurting our children and our young adults. To our listeners, if you or anyone you know, anyone you love is struggling with drug addiction, you can call a 24-hour national hotline at 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-HELP. Or you can visit a great national website, which is samhsa.gov. That's samhsa.gov find help slash find help. The referrals through this website are confidential, free, and they're available in multiple languages. And the referrals, which is phenomenal, they provide referrals to local treatment facilities, local support groups, and community-based organizations. And callers can also order free publications and any other, um, any other information. So please do tap into these national vetted approved resources that can help you overcome substance use issues. To our listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe, subscribe y'all on all of our social media accounts, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, Insta, Facebook. Tell us what you thought about today's episode. Really, tell us what you thought about Tara's testimony. And as always, let us know if there's another B word that you want us to pack, unpack in the future. Until the next time, stay encouraged. Know that you are worthy and please, please, please know that the world needs you. As Tara said, you've just got to do it. And as we like to say on the B word, you've just got to keep unpacking. Thank you for unpacking another B word with Kelly, Kim, and Ebony. Follow the B word on Instagram at the B 
Word Unpacked and follow Goodstock Consulting on Facebook and YouTube. Learn more about Goodstock at www.goodstockconsulting.com.